The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. you can slide over, or a smartphone person, slide your phone over, however that works, but uh, find your way to Exodus chapter 20, and we'll be there this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us or you don't have your Bible, that's on page 61 and 62 of the blue uh, Bible there that's right in the pew. Uh, I, will, I will admit this to you. I am running on about one hour of sleep this morning. I'm not asking for your sympathy as much as your prayers this morning. If I fall asleep during the sermon, it's pretty much a dud of a sermon. Amen? God is good. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Dave Holdsworth, for reminding me of that fact this morning. I appreciate that, brother. Uh, but yes, uh, our, our daughter yesterday, I think, got a little too much outdoor, uh, activity, and her little legs were probably a little sore. So uh, we walked about three miles yesterday. So uh, between running at the track at Jewel and Darren locking his keys in the car, uh, that's what happens. And so what do you do with kids when you're waiting for the tow truck company to come? You let them run. So uh, if I fall asleep, thank you for your prayers. You can knock me on the head and wake me back up, right? And you can just say amen all morning, and that's, that'll wake you right back up anyway. God is good. But uh, thank you so much for the privilege it is to preach. I uh, had a dear friend of mine, Dr. Ken Parker of First Baptist Church Kearney, post this last night. He said, I get to preach tomorrow. And for many of you, that's a daunting task, and Matt and, and others know that it is. Friends, it's a privilege to be up here. Thank you for the honor it is to share with you God's Word each week. Really, it is a privilege. So let's get into it this morning. You know, when I was doing my master's study, which seems like it was in the early church hundreds of thousands of years ago, I discovered an incredible thing as we enter our study of the Ten Commandments, the Fifth Commandment. All these pictures you're going to see up here on the screen that Megan's going to post for you right now is, are, are people that have gone by. Many of these names you know, Sigmund Freud, Karl Marx, Bertrand Russell, Madeline Murray O'Hare, many of you know these names, Frederick Nietzsche, and Albert Camus, all started their life journey with a screwed up relationship. And I use that phrase intentionally with their fathers. They were abused, they were spat on, they were left, some were orphaned. And it's interesting that each one of these actually became atheists as time went on. Isn't that interesting? These major writers had a messed up relationship with their father. And I'm going to make a great generalization here. And it is a generalization. There's always exceptions to this. But in my experience, atheists are usually not disconnected, cold, unlogical people. Usually they are people who started out, as these people on the, phrase, on the screen did, as believers, quote-unquote, in Jesus, and got mad at God for some reason, and they left the church. Do you know anyone like that in your life, perhaps? Many of you do. And they usually start out, and, and there's something in us that craves God. The Bible says that. But they get disappointed. They don't understand why God would do things. And so atheism is not a matter of just logical reasoning for them. In fact, it's a matter of rebellion against their earthly father, who they picture as a picture of their heavenly father. Isn't that interesting? that all these men and this woman came out of that very thing. And friends, that's why at this, our church, we take great strides to preach as best as we can, verse by verse, through the Bible. Because I'll be honest with you, this is not one, as a parent that's just new to this game, and I'm looking at many of you who are seasoned with grandkids and kids of your own, that this is not a topic of obeying your parents, honoring your father and your mother, that we would just pull out of a hat. 
You know, if preachers were left to their own devices, we would preach, especially me, pizza, royals, family, running, and computer games. That would be my five topics that you would have for me each week. But as I looked at these lies, and we're going through the fifth commandment, I thank God that we are going verse by verse, because this is something that many of you struggle with even today. You were hurt as a child by your father or your mother. Your relationship with them is severed. But one thing that this verse and this command will do for us is remind us who we are and what we are to do before our parents as we go forward. That's why the biblical example, you'll see it here in Proverbs chapter 23, is this. It says, listen to your father who gave you life, and do not forget your mother when she is old. And guys, that's not just on Mother's Day, by the way. Let me say that. It is a command, this fifth commandment that deals with every human relationship. We don't have time to chase the rabbits of honoring um, different organizations, your boss, the government, etc. But one thing that we will do here is we will discover, again, what it means to honor our parents, even if they've passed, even if they're older, even if you're out of the home. Because in the home is where we learn authority, isn't it? Hopefully. Responsibility. It's where hopefully we learn right from wrong, although nowadays you would wonder if that's even possible. And it's where we feel we're most valued and loved unconditionally for the first time. Why? Because parents, even grown parents, are a stand-in for God here on this earth in a way. So if you're younger, how does this relate to you? Is this just, uh, is, did the parents, young people, just pay me so that, that you would obey them better? Well, maybe that might be true. But what if you're older and your parents are near death? What does this have for you? Maybe your parents are at that stage where you're trying to decide, do I keep them in a home? Do I send them to my place? What do I do? Well, I can't answer all those questions today. But how does this impact our church? It impacts it this way. And this is the big idea I want to share with you this morning. Your relationship, or lack thereof, with your parents has a weighty sway on how you view God, you worship Him, and you obey Him. And I want you to know that this morning. Friends, if you had a really demanding, never satisfying dad, you end up thinking that about God too, and you end up resenting God, don't you? If you had a dad who was unfaithful to your mother, then a lot of times you have a real problem believing in a God that is ever going to stay with you. So your life verse most likely is Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you had a dad who was emotionally distant and you're a girl, a lot of times that manifests itself by craving the affection and attention of a boyfriend or a husband. And so you're a serial dater, and not a serial killer, that's not what I said, but a serial dater who can never be without a guy. And then when you get married, you are codependent, and when not if, not if, but when your husband disappoints you, you become really bitter in your marriage, and you start to flirt with old friends on Facebook or other people on apps like Tinder or whatever that app is out there. But if your guy and your dad was emotionally distant, you are a lot of times insatiably craving success. You wanted your dad to say, job well done, son, and instead you're trying for other people to tell you good job. So you climb up the ladder to prove your worth. You do many big things because your dad or perhaps even your mother never did. This is why even secular research shows that a lot of men who end up in homosexual relationships are in those relationships because of the severedness and the craving of the affirmation or encouragement from a father figure in their life. Listen, some of you had some pretty messed up homes. Maybe you're living in that situation now, abusive homes, and honestly, you've never come to terms with how it's affecting you. I'll just be honest with that. It affects your career, though, doesn't it? It affects your marriage. It affects your intimacy in marriage. It affects even how you intimately relate to your God. 
And this is some of you deal with, and I want you to find healing today in this. I can't cover every base. That would be, we would be here for five hours. Many of you want to eat and take a nap and watch a game called The Chiefs, so that's probably not going to work. But some of you need to take advantage of biblical counselors to sit down with our deacons even or, or, or the pastors and let us help you get connected. So what are we going to do today? We're going to look at four things, and, and some of these points are briefer than others. But first off, we're going to look at, we're going to break down this verse. What is this verse really saying? Is it that straightforward or is it not? Then I have a word to parents. And then we're going to say, yes, you're really going to honor your parents. And yes, parents, you can pay me later and that'll be great and it'll all be good. But then we're going to see the greatest fulfillment of this was Christ himself, that he himself satisfies the demands of all the law that we have just said in the introduction here. So with that in mind, I want to remind you where we've been. The first commandment is no other gods. The second commandment is no graven images. The third commandment we looked at last week is don't take the Lord's name in vain, which is more than just a verbal. And two weeks ago, Dr. Johnson, we did the backwards math, talked about the Sabbath of taking a rest unto the Lord. This morning, we make that turn. Many of you know this. The first four commandments are your relationship to God vertically. And now we make this connection to other people horizontally. So is this commandment then about God or is it about our relationship? The answer is both. Because the way you see your earthly authorities, not just your parents, is the way you see your heavenly authority, God himself who does not change. With that in mind, will you join me if you're able this morning in standing for the reading of God's word? As we read Exodus chapter 20, and I'm actually going to start in verse 9. Uh, We're going to start in the fourth commandment and just read through to verse 12, the fifth commandment. The Bible says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And now our focus verse for today, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God is giving you. What a promise that is. Will you join me in prayer as we kick it off this morning? Father God, thank you so much. Thank you that whether we are older, younger, whether we are middle-aged, whether our parents have passed or still living, whether we are estranged from them, whether we have the best relationship ever with them. Father, this verse covers all those bases. So, Father, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work among your people through the preaching of your word to do the work that only you can do. Father, you said through Paul that what we are doing up here literally is foolishness unless you come down. So, Father, by your strength and your spirit, move among us. Teach us what we need. Challenge us where we need to. But, Father, prevent us from thinking that we've satisfied everything with this command. For, Father, we are in constant need of your grace, especially as it relates to those closest to us in authority in our lives. Father, thank you so much. We pray this all in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, guys, very, very much. So let's take a breakdown of this verse if you're ready to do that. Friends, this verse is both a command and a promise. You see that straight up through the verse. The command, honor your father and mother, and the, 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 the promise that your days may be long in the land. Now, the directive is honor your parents. In short, to honor means to recognize them as stand-ins for God and reverence and respect them for the fact that they represent that. We'll get to that more in the morning or more, woo, more in the morning. Woo. Told you one hour of sleep. Amen. God is good. 
But let me first show you the promise. You will live long in the land. Friends, we do not, at this place, this is not an isolated promise just to Israel. This is a promise, as we said in the first message, the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments, continues on for us. And as I've been saying, he's telling the whole nation of Israel here, look, if you honor your parents, your community will flourish. If you honor your parents, the nation will thrive. The family is the fundamental unit of our society. Now, our Supreme Court justices, our legal system today, our our culture would not agree with that. But the reality is, if the family is healthy and intact, the community will be healthy and intact. And by extension, the nation will be healthy and intact. In fact, if you flip over one chapter to chapter 21, verse 17, the Bible says this. Moses says that rebellion and deep disrespect towards parents is punishable by death. Oh, boy. Watch out, youth. Here it comes. Verse 17, chapter 21, whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. Now, I don't know many of us would have made it out of adolescence, let alone high school, if that were still in play today. Would anyone have made it out? I don't know. A few hands, possibly. But the answer is, is we don't see this, Moses says, of dishonoring your parents, disobeying your parents as just a private matter. But this is a public testimony or crime. The community saw an assault on the family as an assault on the public good. Because if you unravel the family, you literally unravel society. So attack was on society. So God says here in breaking down this verse, he says, honor your father and mother because from the family unit, I'm going to teach you about myself. He says, look, you're going to learn my love, my authority, and through strong families, I will make you a strong, thriving nation. And that is why our first faith lesson is simply this application point. The worldliness encourages reversal of the fifth commandment. That is that parents obey their children instead of the other way around. Now, the truth of the matter is every parent, every grandparent has been in this situation. You want your kid to obey, so you give them the world to get them to do it for that moment. Amen? Anybody? A lot of you are smirking. We do this at our house, and I unfortunately fall in this trap more because I am a people pleaser by nature. It's hard for me to do this. But the reality is, is that if we reverse that commandment, we see parenting as it is in most homes today, is what do you want? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Whereas the Bible says that the parent is actually the authority in the home. And so I have a very quick word to parents we'll get to in a minute. But friends, I just want you to ask yourself that question. As we have been looking at parenting strategies with our kids, and my wife has been reading through several books, and I've been reading stuff on the side as well. How do you handle this? What do you do with this? How do you fight the cultural norm that says kids are the greatest thing in the world and they are a blessing, but they are not to run the home? And for some of you, that sounds so, well, of course that's not true. But friends, think about most homes. Who runs the household? Now, we joke about it, but we go and we say, our, you know, our kid, she really runs the roost or rules the roost, right? We have to be very careful with this because it goes both ways. It's like this boy that's in the picture right here who is riding his bike around the block. And around and around, he pedaled around the block. And finally, a policeman saw him and went up to him and said, Son, where are you going? I've been watching you for an hour. You've circled the block. And the boy said, Sir, I am running away from home. And the policeman brought to the boy's attention that he hadn't even gone to the other side of the street. He keeps going around and around and around on the same side. And the boy, all of eight years old, cocked his head back confidently and said, and furrowed his brow and said smartly, Yeah, I know, officer, I haven't crossed the street. I can't. My mama said and told me I couldn't 
across the street. That is how many kids are. But friends, that is the breakdown of this verse. There is to be a healthy respect among those who have parents who are children, even grown, to their older folks, especially in the home. That is the breakdown of the verse. And Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart in it. Friends, a lot of times we miss the promise of this verse. We train up a child in the way he should go, but we have to make sure that we go that way as well. How many parents do you know who raise their children in such a way that is godly? I'll send them to church, but I myself will not go to church. I want them to go and get religious, but I want nothing to do with that Jesus thing. That's just weird. And so, friends, as you pray about our families in this church, would you pray that parents, grandparents even, would not only live out what they're teaching their kids, but their kids would be instilled with it as well. And again, we can chase this several ways. Look, we are to be, as First Peter says, honor all people, love the brothers, fear God, honor the king. This verse has application across so many things. And uh, many of you in Sunday school, and let me give you an unashamed Sunday school plug. If you're not in a class, we would love to plug you in a Sunday school class. It's vital for your growth. But if you have not been a part of a Sunday school class, we've been studying through First Peter, which is all about Christians coming under authority, especially under the king. So, friends, as we look at the breakdown of this verse, I want to secondly move on to a word for parents, a word for parents, number two. Friends, in your role as parents, and believe me, these verses I've told you before have slapped me up inside the head. We are stand-ins for God in this world. Let that sink in for just a second. You are a stand-in for God in this world. Are you God? No, we are not Mormon, and we will not become gods of our own planet someday. That is not true biblical theology. But here on this earth, parents, even some of you grandparents, are filling roles, abdicated by those who are supposed to be filling that role. How many orphans do we have? You know, our Missouri Baptist Children's Home uh, has almost 2,000 kids in it that they serve who are orphans, whose parents have just said, enough, away with you. I don't want you. You're too much of trouble, too much of a hassle, as sad as that is. But let that sink in. Because if you see your part as a parent as just a temporary referee between two kids, and often that's how we feel at our house. Our daughter is at a stage where she crowds out her brother everywhere he goes. He goes and plays in the farthest room, and she's like, where's Simeon at? I'm going in there. And we have to play referee, you know, throw the yellow flag, 15-yard penalty for disrespecting your brother. But if you let that sink in, it really changes your role of how you view your parents. Parents, we are supposed to teach our kids what is right and wrong. They are supposed to feel their first touches, if you will, from God's delight and his love and his unconditional acceptance of them in Christ through us, as imperfectly as that is. No pressure, parents. <laughs> no pressure, grandparents. That's why I'm not a secular psychology person, but I think there are three things that you look across all that stuff that people look at that parents are supposed to affirm. You know, parents are supposed to say, I love you. How many of you grew up in homes? I did. Where saying those words was awkward because it was never said to me. How many of you grew up in homes where you never heard the phrase, I'm proud of you? Or you are good at something, fill in the blank. Many of you are there. And those are things that God has said to his children, but first through his parents. We teach our kids to honor God's authority by honoring our authority. And that'll change how you discipline, won't it? It really will. My main concern in discipline, even though it's hard at times to keep that balance, is to properly respond to God's authority. 
when our kids disrespect or disobey, I don't want to get upset with them because they disrespected me, even though that happens, but I want to get upset because they're learning to disrespect the God behind me, and I'm filling in as his temporary stand-in. My discipline, even as a, a parent of toddlers, should not be an attempt to keep them under my control or to punish them for annoying me or making my life difficult or screaming at the middle of the line when we're trying to check out and all the eyes are looking on you. How embarrassing is that? But it's to bring them under God's authority. That's why the first application point is this. Children who grow up in a legalistic, pharisaic realm and then rebel against Christianity aren't rebelling against Christianity. They're rebelling against a false religion. Friends, there are many people who claim the name of Christ who raise their children in such a way that they are little Sadducees or little Pharisees or little whatevers, but they have no love for Christ. They know all the rules. But why is it as parents or grandparents that we get mad at our kids? What is it usually about? Think about this. It's usually about they've inconvenienced you, they've annoyed you, they've embarrassed you in the checkout line. Anyone ever had that happen before? Can I get a witness? No, you guys are, you guys are perfect parents today. I'm amazed. Or they've broken something that's upset you. Or you're angry because they, whatever. But friends, is your anger a godly, righteous anger that is grieved about how little their hearts are in rebellion against God? Or is it because of all those other things? Our reaction to our children, our reaction to those that God has placed in our life's parents is not how does this affect me, rather, but what is going on in their heart towards God. And oh, how often I forget that even as a dad and a pastor. The bigger concern is about what is happening in their spirit, about how he or she submits to the will of God. Defying authority, hiding from God's presence is what Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden for, wasn't it? So the issue in discipline is that. How are they responding to God? You know, it's like that man who was a lecturer about kids before he had kids. He was a professional. He, He got the degree, and he had the Ten Commandments of Raising Children. Don't you love these people, the, the, uh, the Monday morning parenting quarterbacks, as some call them? And the man, and his image is up here. It's actually a true book. But the man lectured to uh, parents about raising children without having kids. And can someone know some wisdom about that? Of course. But he had been a professor for a long time, and he finally got married. And his, it, it, here's how his lectures evolved over the years. I just want you to see this. When he was single, he started off calling it the Ten Commandments for Parents. When he had his first child, many of you have identified with this, he had to change the title to 10 Hints for Parents. After his second child, he changed the lecture to 10 Suggestions for Parents. And when they had the fourth, he just stopped lecturing altogether because he just gave up on it. Does anyone else feel that way sometimes? Parents, let me remind you that to honor you as you are to be honored, grandparents, to be honored as you are to be honored, you are a temporary stand-in for God. And that means that there is a place of authority that ends and where God's begins. I know parents who try and control their children long into adulthood, and they say something like this, this is where I want you to live. This is the job you will take. This business has been in our family for five generations. You cannot go off and be this, that, or the other. Many of you know parents, perhaps, who have had children who have had a sincere desire to go to the mission field, to go overseas as a missionary. And the parents just flat out, even though they're out of high school, they're above the age, they say, no, I am not going to let you live there. You are my child, and I want to see grandchildren. And we smirk at that, but it's very true. Shame on those parents. 
Shame on them. They are not God. Those kids are ultimately his, just like Hannah gave Samuel unto the Lord. And after you've taught them to obey, you release them and let them go, don't you? That's hard. That's super hard to do. If your kids don't grow up in the profession you want, if they don't take over the family business, if they're not, if, but if they are doing what God wants, well, they belong to him and ultimately not you. And be okay with that. Be okay with that. Your parents, parents, grandparents, you should rejoice when your kids grow up and become independent self-thinkers by themselves, especially if they are doing so under the obeying of God's word and the authority that he's given them because you have done your job well. You say, well, what if I have kids who've rebelled and I've tried to teach them the right way? Keep praying for them. Don't ever think that anyone is beyond the scope of God's reach. If God can save a thief on the cross in his dying moments, he can save a kid who's run away. But parent, grandparent, grown parent, grown grandparent, remember your role is a temporary stand-in for who God is. Have you prayed about that responsibility? So, Darren, that's not really talking about the commandment, is it? Well, sort of, but that's why we go to number three. We've broken down the verse. We've said a word to parents, but really, really, the verse is about honoring your parents. So, yes, really honor your parents. So, this is the classic youth pastor question. Matt, I don't know if you've had this yet in the youth group, but it's like that kid, and I've shared this, I think, a long time before. We had a kid at Sycamore Hills who Natalie will know who this is as soon as I say the story. We're not going to say his name. He came up one day. He said, Darren, we, we just went over to the Ten Commandments. He said, Darren, what if my parents tell me to make a device that's going to blow up the world? And they say, I have to do that because the Bible says obey. Do I have to do it? Parents, have you ever had those questions before? What do you tell that kid? You have a great imagination. If that's happening, can we call the police like right now to help you out? I mean, that's where you want to go with that. But do you obey them like slaves, he said? What do I do? Where's the fine line? And a lot of you have questions about that. And, and, and the answer to that was, yet, you know, uh, I won't say his name, but son, if, you, if your parents are making a device that's going to blow up the world, then they must be watching a lot of Star Wars and a lot of Star Trek. That's okay. That's good for the soul at times. But you need to talk to someone about it if that's serious. He goes, no, that's just a joke. I'm just kidding. So that's good. That's really good to know. But where is the line? What if they don't approve of who you want to marry, kids? Or what if you're doing something with your life or how they don't like how you're raising or rearing your children? Where do you, it's the breakdown of obeying them and honoring them. What, how do you honor them in that situation? Let me first give you a, a, a concise description of what it means biblically to honor your parents. Friends, to honor your parents means, again, to recognize the institution of parenthood as a temporary stand-in for who God is and respect it accordingly. When you live at home as a child, you obey your parents for all your life, you respect them. When you're in the home, you obey for all your life, you respect them. But then the question comes up, and it's a good one. Well, pastor, I grew up in a home, but what if they don't deserve my respect? I mean, Darren, you don't understand. My parents are truly bad. I mean, they're, they're to the point of being manipulative. They're controlling. There are some that will even say this morning that you might say, my parents abused me, maybe sexually, maybe emotionally, maybe physically. How am I supposed to respect them, Pastor? I mean, really, let's be honest here. Friends, I know. And I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to trivialize that. I don't want to say anything. But even if you can't respect them as individuals, biblically, you can respect the institution they try to represent, which means you certainly don't approve or condone what they do. 
you don't even always submit to what they tell you. If you have a nuclear device in your home and your parent says, press the button, you run away, okay? You run away. And you certainly don't allow them to dominate, control you, or abuse you past the point of any law or physical uh, or biblical thing. But you do still show them a level of respect for the office they hold as a temporary stand-in for God. And that's tough. That's very, very tough. Because when you honor your parents, you are honoring the God behind your parents, the God of the institution of parenthood. And again, they say, but what if they're trying to tell me to do something that God wouldn't want you to do? Remember, your parent is given as a temporary stand-in for God. That means the real point is obeying God. So once you're doing that, you are fulfilling what God is saying here in the command. The point is getting you to obey the command. But obeying is not the ultimate point. Obeying God is the ultimate point, friend. And if what they're asking you to do is not outside of biblical grounds, then young person especially, you have every reason to follow and respect them. And yes, young people, I know your parents are old and ancient, right? They never understand anything you say or do. Of course. We never do. We've never walked 50 plus years or 33 years on this life. But one thing we do know, and this might blow your mind, Matt, this is your classic blow your mind moment. The way you most honor them is by obeying and growing God. That is how you honor them, young people especially. Luke 14, 26. Let me quote this verse for you. If anyone comes to me, Jesus says, and does not, this is tough, does not hate his father, does not hate his mother, does not hate his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whew, those are heavy words, Jesus, on a Sunday morning in the middle of October. How do you reconcile that, Pastor, with the commandment to honor your parents? Wasn't Jesus overturning this commandment? I mean, he said, look, if you're going to follow me, Jesus said, you must hate them. No, Jesus is actually fulfilling this commandment. He was showing that ultimately the point is learning to obey him. And in light of our obedience to him, which is a real thing, the institution of parenthood, the temporary fill-in, takes a permanent backseat. So that our commitment to him makes our commitment to everyone else look like hate. Christian, is your love that deep for Christ that when you follow your boss, when you follow the authorities, when that policeman pulls you over, you don't say, oh man, Ah, 75 and a 35, I was trying to get to work. Do you argue with that person or do you obey the authority that they are? It's like this. When if my kid grows up and goes over to a neighbor's house and I tell him, you can go over and follow whatever so-and-so says, but if I call you, come home, you come home. And when it's time to come, I say, Simeon, come home. And the neighbor says, no, Simeon, I want you to stay. And Simeon, I pray someday, will say, but my daddy wants me to come home. And that person will say what? But I want you to stay. Come play with me. I expect my kid to say, I'm obeying my dad, and I'm calling Channel 5 because you are trying to steal kids and you don't even know the password. <laughs> Listen, the greatest honor that we have, that we can do to our parents, is to obey God because in doing so, we're honoring the institution of parenthood and fulfilling the purpose of the commandment. Look, friends, you have two choices in everything you do. It's you or God. Everything you do. Whether you are grown or not, the problem is, is the attitude you have towards God. Everything you do comes back to obedience. Think about Saul. Do you remember the story, you Bible scholars? First Samuel, Saul was told by Samuel to wait seven days for him to come back. And he would overtake and run over the Philistine army. And on the seventh day, Saul got nervous. He got a little antsy, like most of us are when we get nervous. He got antsy, he started reaching around. He said, go bring me that sheep. Do you remember this story? 
And at that time, he slaughtered the sheep. And who stands up and comes right at that very same time? Who was it? Samuel. And Samuel said, why do I hear that you have killed the sheep? I told you to wait. And Samuel said, but the people, the people, they were, the pressure of the people was so much and the army was so big. This is what I had to do. And Samuel said, God doesn't care about your sacrifices, Saul. He cares about your heart and your obedience. <coughs> Friend, that's really the bottom line of honoring your parents, whether you're grown or not. It comes back to that. It really comes back to that. So friends, the first thing, when you live at home or as a child, you obey them, but for all your life, you respect them. You've either got to say with Jesus, thy will be done, or you sing with Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, if you know that old song. One is a mantra of the child of God, one is an anthem of those who do not know Christ. Christian, is your life submitted to God in every area? Are you a person under authority, or are you in charge of your own life? Is God in charge of you? Is how you're handling marriage pleasing to God in a way that would honor Him and honor those in authority around you? So really, parents, that's something we have to honor. The second thing we have to honor, and we'll get there in just a second, is you must care for them in their old age. You must care for them in their old age. Honoring your parents means you understand that there is a cycle of life and how well we have forgotten this. This is a sad time. Haven't you been to a a retirement home or, or old folks home, as they call it recently? Uh, you know, how many of y'all go frequently enough that you see the same people over and over? You know what I mean? And you know that they don't have people who come visit them, whether it's family. And I know there's circumstances. I know people are busy. I, I, I get all that. But God has placed both the parents, if you're living, and if they're in that situation, and children in that cycle with responsibilities one to another at various stages. Here's what I mean. When a baby is born, he's totally dependent on his parents. I, I, I would pray for that. If you can invent this machine, praise the Lord. My wife's getting ready to uh, pop out a baby here in a couple months. And you know what? I wish there was a button we could press that said, baby, go to sleep. Amen? I wish there was a button at 4 in the morning that says, toddler, go to sleep. Boop, you're out. It's called Tylenol, but you can only use Soma. I'm just kidding. But as a baby, you feed him and you dress him and you wipe his bottom, yes. His role is to take the pure pure white milk you put in and recycle it into a rainbow of neon colors that comes out, but it's both of your responsibilities. <laughs> but as your child grows, as your child grows, he gets increasingly independent. Hopefully by the time he gets out of high school, you're still not doing those same things to him. When your child grows up, and I'm putting this in silly terms because we forget how easy this is. When your child grows up and moves towards independence, the parents are following an opposite path, also assigned by God. They are moving from independence to dependence back upon their children. You know, Jerry Seinfeld, I don't endorse everything, but he had this to say about a first birthday party and the last one you have. This is a joke about the first birthday party and the last one you have. He said, on both occasions, the first birthday and the last one you have, they're kind of similar. You just kind of sit there. You are the least excited person at the party. Isn't that true? You don't even realize that there is a party. And you don't know what's going on. And people have to help you blow out the candles. You can't do it yourself. You don't even know how or why you're doing it. What is this, a ritual? What's going on here? It's also the only two birthday parties where other people have to gather your friends together for you. (laughs) I thought that was funny. They might not even really be your friends or other people might make a judgment. They bring in and set them down and tell them these are your friends. It's true, isn't it? It's very true. 
at an older stage, parents become more dependent on their children than ever before. And that's why we're having three children. God may bless us with more, but at least if one out of the three strikes out, we have a 33, or two out of the three strike out, we have a 33% chance we're going to be taken care of someday. Amen? That's why you have lots of kids. But at any rate, in an age cycle, it is complete. If you are here today, in all seriousness, if you are here today and you have parents that are older and you are estranged from them, can I encourage you? to ask your heart before the Lord, why aren't you taking care of them? Maybe it is financial. Maybe it is time. Maybe it is location. All those things. Have you called them recently to check on them? Have you righted any wrongs that you have done towards them? Friends, we see this even in the life of Jesus. What did our Savior do on the very cross that He died upon? He did. He took care of His mother. The very point of death, our Savior cared for and asked His buddy John to do it. It's a God-ordained cycle of life. How often we forget this. Young people, your parents are vital now. My parents are in their mid-60s. That's hard to believe. My dad turned 66 in January. He called me yesterday and said, I'm going to be taking Social Security for the first time. I said, you're an old geezer. He said, I know. <laughs> it really is true. You say, but you don't understand my schedule, Pastor, or I'm really important and I've got lots of stuff to do. Listen, if the Son of God was able to take care of his mother at the very point he was dying, friend, I think you can rearrange your schedule to take care of your parents and it's not that big a deal. What if your parents had been too busy to care for you when you were dependent? What if they had more important things to do and shipped you off as a baby and they were, they'd be considered bad parents, but maybe many of them should be considered bad children who don't take care of their parents later on. I'm not trying to do this to shame you or guilt you, but friends, as, as Natalie and I look at our parents, her parents are, one, uh, Forrest is in his 70s, your mom's in mid-60s as well. We're in that stage of life. It's a tough thing. It's a very, very tough thing. You know, and that leads us to our last point, and I'll end with this. I'm going to fix my mic here for just a second. Is Jesus fulfills this command. Jesus fulfills this command to us, folks. Isn't that a great thing? Aren't you grateful that there is someone, not just some unqualified person, but the Savior of the world has done this perfectly? Friends, the first point I want you to see as we close is that in Jesus is where you can gain trust to submit to God. In Jesus is where you can trust that. Many of you are dealing with situations in your families, with your parents, with your authorities, that you have to learn to submit to God. I'm not saying you're a doormat. I'm not saying you take abuse. I'm not saying you take coercion and controlling and manipulation. It goes beyond biblical and legal grounds. But I am saying that there is a place at which many of you need to trust that your God is big enough to handle your parenting situation and who you are and honoring them despite who they are. You think life will be better if you run it, and then if you submit to God, he'll ruin it. But think about this. Christ was the only one who ever perfectly submitted to God. He obeyed his heavenly Father perfectly. He was without sin. And aren't you grateful that our Savior was without sin, church? Aren't you grateful that our Savior never had a blemish about him? He was the perfect son. When he should have heard, you are my son, I'm proud of you. But instead he heard from his Father, depart from me. Depart from me. I had to look away because all the sin that we had fell upon him. Friends, look, God is perfectly able to take everything that you have, every person that you have in your life who's an authority figure for you, and take it and make it better. Are you trusting him with those situations? Young people, I'm talking to youth down here. Do you obey your parents to the point at which they ask you to? Nick, uh, Nick's shaking his head up here, so uh, you can, uh, I know, and parent, mom's shaking her head back there, dad's shaking her head, and, and Darlene is shaking somewhere too, I'm sure. But you know what? Young people, let me just encourage you. The greatest blessing you can be is that you follow hard after God. And when you follow hard after God, the things they're asking you to do will make more sense. That is the truth. Matt read it from Ephesians. It is a promise. 
that when you obey your parents, there is a promise to that. Friends, many of you have struggle with obeying parents or righting wrong so much the fact that you need to submit and gain trust to submit to God. Have you trusted your relationships to your parents to God? Despite what has happened in the past, despite what they say now, have you trusted, are you praying if they don't know Christ, that they would know Christ? That's something you may need to submit to God. My father is not a Christian. My, my wife knows this well. My father is not a Christian. Uh, his name is John Smith. We have another John Smith among us this, today as well. And he always gets carded. Are you married to Pocahontas? Is that your real name? Is that a fake ID? That's all he gets asked all the time. He can joke with people all day. And he's never met a stranger in his life. He loves people. He, he actually was the greatest bridge for me because we lived in a uh, segre- or desegregated town. Plattsburgh, Missouri is one of the few desegregated towns in northern Missouri. Most are just white middle class, and that's fine to a degree. He was one of the few people in life that taught me at an early age, friend, it's not about skin color. It's about who they are as a person, right? But he doesn't know Christ, but he's got a lot of wisdom among him. You pray for him. My father never told me, I love you, son. And a lot of my, I'm just being very honest with you right now, and I, I think I need to be. I think God is moving me that way. A lot of you struggle with what I do is to try to be a people pleaser, to get that affirmation, to work the hardest, to, to get that good job, because my father never told me that. It is an awkward thing. My, my wife will tell you when she came into my family, they're a lovey-dovey family, and my family's like, hey, you want a hug? Okay, come over here, you know, do that sort of thing. That's not what it is. And there were times when my dad and I went head-to-head because I was so mad at him that he would not follow the Lord, and I'd write him notes and get vindictive about him in, in notes about, if you don't come to Christ, you're going to hell. I'm being very real with you right now. And is that true? Yes, it is. Was it done in the right spirit? Absolutely not. I struggle with that, and now I have to really realize that. My father was passive and disciplined. My mom still is the disciplinarian of our family. I have to fight those tendencies. But in all that I see bad in my father and the things he led me in in some ways, I also know that my my wife and I are at a stage where we have to start thinking about, are we going to honor them even in their older age? And I pray the answer is yes. This hits home, doesn't it? It really hits home. Let's go to the second one. It really, really hits home. So what do we do from here? In Jesus, you find also the love and acceptance you search for from your parents. This one hit me like a this week. Friends, you should be loved and accepted by your parents. If they see sin in your life, they should have freedom to call that out. But some of you, your first disappointment was from your parents. You looked to them for tenderness and affirmation, and they never gave it to you. And you turned other places, drugs, relationships. And I'm talking to some of you out there who are little girls who were never loved and adored by your daddy. So you spent time trying to find that adoration in the arms of multiple lovers. I'm talking to some of you guys this morning who wanted to be a kid to hear, son, I'm proud of you, but you never heard it. And so you were a workaholic trying to make sure that you're Daddy upstairs is pleased with you. Friends, the Apostle John said, what an incredible kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. That is where your love and acceptance is today. That is where your love and acceptance is. And look, some of you need to forgive your parents. Some of you need to have a deep talk with the Lord. Uh, maybe your dad raped you. I'm just going to be honest with you. Maybe your dad raped you. Maybe your dad abused you. Maybe your dad left you. Maybe your mom abandoned you. But in all these things, you realize that all that hurt and disappointment, that God himself is able to take it. You can look at them and say, look, dad, mom, you failed me, but you wounded me and it hurt, but it wasn't fatal. I used to need your approval, but no longer. I used to weep over your lack of love for me, but no longer. I found it in God. I found it in Christ. And some of you need to have that word spoken to your parents today. Let me end with this story. 
Friends, your parents will always disappoint you, but they were only a temporary stand-in for God. There is a great story, and this is a true story. This isn't one of those pastoral proverbial stories that we make up to make a point, make really good sense. This comes from a pastor friend of mine. I'm not going to reveal which church it was because it's close, it's local. But I want you to know something about Tower View. As this church I'm about to say, we are all messed up people around here. Your pastor being the best of them. The guy that keeps fixing the earpiece over and over. Isn't that fun? It's kind of mesmerizing too, isn't it? But I heard about a pastor friend of mine share this story just even in the last couple months. And it's, he was talking about a man in his congregation who's a very successful surgeon. I'm not going to say his name either because he's local, but I want you to know this is a true story. He had lunch with his pastor, who's a local pastor, and told him that there was real hurt in his life with his dad. His dad wanted him to do the family business, and the expectation was he would take it over. And when his dad asked his son, will you do this? His, his son said, no, I'm going to medical school. I'm going to be a surgeon. And even though he was successful there, there's a shroud of hurt and pain. So the pastor said, and I'm just quoting here from the email, he said, we went out to lunch, and we talked about it one day. We were sitting there over lunch, and this just shows how deep this is for the man this prominent local surgeon sat there and never ate his salad. He just cried into it because more than anything else, he wanted to have his dad's blessing over his life. And my pastor went on to say he, he told the guy to cancel all of his appointments and go and see his dad and ask for his blessing. So the surgeon did. And this man and his dad sat there and they talked and listened, but he really struggled with that. Fast forward about one month and continuing this conversation, my pastor friend said, uh, the surgeon called on the phone. He said, can we go out and have lunch again? I want to share with you a letter that my dad sent to me. Friends, this is a verbatim letter shared with permission, but I want you, uh, this is a handwritten copy of it, but here's what he said, and I want to end with this. This is not just a rah-rah story, but for some of you, this may hit home. This man told his son, his surgeon's son, Dear son, I love you more than I'll ever be able to tell you. I'm so proud of you, your brilliant mind, your tenacity, your tender, loving heart, your determination to go to the second, third, or many more miles as it takes to make a good marriage. And this surgeon is a godly man, local man. You have a godlike love that never gives up. And son, I want you to look into my heart today whenever I go in this world. My heart fills with pride when I say my son is a doctor, a surgeon, and he helps save lives every day. But son, I want you to know I felt pain and hurt in my lifetime, the pain of depression, the pain at one point of having no hope, not even having a food or a place to live, the pain of being a dropout from high school with no one who seemed to care for me, the pain of going to college with no money and no letters and no help. But the deepest pain I've ever felt was when I hurt you with my stupid, foolish words. Oh, how I've wept when I think how I hurt you, my beloved son. I weep even now as I write this. Please erase those words. They were not from my heart. Please forgive me from your heart and think of me not as your daddy, but as your best friend and supporter. I know you have forgiven me, but I want you to hear my heart. Only the guilty need mercy. Son, I remember when I saw you and held you and loved you for the first time. And he ends with this. When you were a little boy in bed one night, you were scared and said, Daddy, are you awake? And I said, Yes, son, I am awake. And then said, In a few minutes, Daddy, is your face turned towards me? And I said, Yes, son, my face is always turned towards you. And you as a frightened little boy went to sleep. Son, I want you to know that my face is still toward, turned towards you and it will never be turned away. Sleep well, my son. Your old daddy will always love you and help you. Signed sincerely. Your dad. Friends, if your kids don't learn to feel the love of God that he has for them, they may never learn it. This man, this older man, actually became a Christian through this. <laughs> this encounter, this reconciliation. Never doubt what God can do by repairing a damaged relationship that you may have with your parents. I'm going to close with that. Let's pray.
Father, this message this morning was a little more somber than we're used to around here.